0: Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Range Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangeley. With me as always, my co-host and Rangeley's founder, Chris DeMuth. Uh, today, we're going to start with a CEO change over at GE, and then we're going to move on to some thoughts on M&A or the lack thereof. Uh, so, Chris, big news this morning. GE fired their longtime CEO, Jeff Immelt. He'd uh, been CEO since September 2001, so you know, 15, 16 years. Uh, they replaced him with a company uh, with a veteran from the company, John Flannery. Uh, he currently runs their healthcare division. He spent much of his career in the GE Financial Services division. He also had a uh, long history with GE and M&A. Uh, shares were up 5% on the news that of the new CEOs today. So I'm going to turn it over to you. What do you think of the firing? What do you think of GE going forward?
1: They wouldn't have called it a firing. What's that? They wouldn't have called
0: it a firing. They did not call it a firing. Uh, no, I, I would but say it was, it was a more firing.
1: of a... Continuity than discontinuity. If you wanted to make a sharp break, I mean, it was an insider, an insider associated with prior GE deals, uh, and an insider in a tradition of GE, which I find to be uh, uh, very indicative of such a huge. Company. These guys end up being sort of politicians. You know, I was listening to them speak today, and it is just packed with with kind of platitudes and jargony uh, 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 catchphrases. Uh, you know, you'd make a great drinking game on talking about diversity and stakeholders and so forth. And he sounded just like Jeff Immelt in that, and really was associated with a lot of the things that Immelt did. So I, th- I think they they have to make some big changes. I rather suspect they will, but you didn't hear a lot about that today.
0: Yeah, look, I think you start and you kind of look at a lot of – there was a lot of pressure in recent weeks from shareholders on mm-hmm. GE. Uh performance had been pretty poor for years. Mm -hmm. Under Jeff Immelt's reign, you know, shares have fallen 30% versus 125% climb in the S&P 500. If you kind of factor in dividends, shares are only up about 17% versus 200% plus for the S&P 500, which over the short term, that's a pretty poor bogey. But over 15, 16, 17 years, you know, that's a pretty good bogey and GE well underperformed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think if you look at their history, they were caught flat-footed for the financial crisis, the GE capital. They moved into oil and gas starting in kind of 12, 2012, 13, 14, right before oil prices kind of peak. Like I just, I, I think it's kind of tough to look at Jeff Immelt's history and say this was going well. Which is why I'm surprised you have investor pressure coming. Uh, you have investor pressure coming. And they say, oh, we'll just go with a company insider who's largely associated with a lot of these mistakes they've made. Uh, you know, I'm not saying he's not a, a good choice, but it seems strange. I can't help but wonder if there are some more shoes to kind of drop here.
1: I think there will be. I would say even more than flat-footed during the financial crisis. If you look at the uh, GE commercial paper, I think that they could have brought down the company and the whole system. I think only because they were so big and, I mean, they were the number one issue uh, issuer of commercial paper at a time when if it seized up everything could have I mean it really could have been the kind of fulcrum disaster in our system and only because they were so big and irresponsible it it was kind of like a game of chicken that nobody wanted to lose uh, that they survived but uh, kind of remarkable to me that ML could have gotten a company into that situation and then had a career survive for another decade plus after that or about a decade after that Um, so it it was precarious it was risky and uh, only survived because of general government intervention in the time of the financial crisis. Yeah,
0: and, and, you know, the the quotes in the Wall Street Journal this morning were, were not great for the company. You know, it, they said he's had a history of overpromising and under-delivering yep. on earnings. Uh, they kept mentioning that he was throwing out this $2 in earnings per share in 2018 targets, and they said it was driving investors crazy. Nobody believed they could do it, and the company and Jeff Immelt were kind of the last people to acknowledge that it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of the last shoe to drop. And look, they're choosing this executive. He's he's uh, in reading the background today. Uh, it seems he's associated with a lot of the more controversial GE deals in in the recent past, specifically buying uh, French Alstom's power division. But at the same time, he's associated with a lot of the deals that kind of were getting GE smaller and splitting off. So you have to look at this, I think, and say, oh, there's probably going to be some split up, some divestitures coming in the near future.
1: I think this fall, I mean, I think that he did say uh, that he's going to look with urgency. He referred to shareholders More than Immelt tends to in terms of the list of people he concerns himself with. Um, I think that he could end up even, you know. Now, I was interested to see if they immediately uh, picked a successor to him within GE Healthcare, which they did. I think that if they hadn't, the likelihood that he could break up GE and go back to healthcare Mm -hmm. uh, could have been uh, more clear. Uh, But, um, you know, today actually uh, was the day they announced uh, clearing the Baker Hughes deal with GE. But, you know, kind of deal. It, it shows the problem being a habitual uh, M&A uh, buyer. You 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 pay these huge series of control premiums and then you don't tend to get anywhere near that amount when you have the big divestitures associated with the deal. They're divesting water and process technologies uh, with the deal just announced today. And that might have been even connected a little bit with the specific timing. Mm-hmm. Although, Immelt really went out of his way to make it seem like this uh, a month approximately this season was the season they'd been planning for years i simply just don't believe it yeah and, and look i think it shows the power
0: of the rising power of corporate activists even at these giant companies that historically would not be targetable right like Trian owns two or two and a half percent of ge they start pushing for changes and uh it, it eventually it leads to jeff ML getting kind of pushed out right mm-hmm. and uh there were a lot of quotes in the paper today about This is clearly a lead to GE breaking up, spinning off some divisions. Baker Hughes, which you just mentioned, is a target. Healthcare is a target. And the other quote that really jumped out to me was uh, there was a quote, Jeff created the Big Apple, now it's time for John to polish it in terms of GE is going to be undergoing a lot of cost-cutting. So I think it just shows the rising power of the corporate activists. And if you're not delivering for your shareholders, their shareholders are going to come in, and they're going to force management to kind of step up to the plate.
1: I think that's absolutely true, and it doesn't require, uh, as you pointed out, actual uh, force Uh, it helps if you're persuasive if you're right on your case but if you have an argument to be made and you own one or two percent i feel that there is a broader uh, group of fellow holders that will listen but it used to be this very distinct category uh, but now the big money the big uh, mutual funds pension funds Uh, are listening and if Nelson Peltz has something better to say than Jeff Immelt Nelson Peltz will get more of what he wants
0: and in GE's case it's a you know big mutual funds and index holders are the the uh are the major holders of GE. So it, it is interesting that Tran can come in, buy 1% or 2%. They can just go to these big index funds, and if they can convince them and they can convince the corporate governance leaders that, hey, there's a need for a change, it can happen. So uh, uh, the last thing I'll mention, you mentioned Baker Hughes. You know, Baker mm-hmm. Hughes, a big part of that stock, will remain publicly traded. Uh, the, the guy who's taking over GE is also the guy who argued for the spin-off of Synchrony Financial. So I think Baker Hughes seems like a natural kind of spin off the remaining stake to uh, shareholders at some point. Okay, perfect. Why don't we turn over to M&A unless you have anything else to add on GE real quick? No. Great. So let's turn to M&A. So, you know, I think at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of hope that we'd see this big boom in M&A that would be spurred by uh, by President Trump's focus on lower regulations, more growth, big tax cuts big infrastructure spending. And we we really haven't seen that play out. Uh, U.S. M&A year-to-date is down about 16%, and global M&A is actually roughly flat. So Europe's really seen a big pickup in M&A, while U.S. has seen a big downdraft. Uh, you know, and I wanted to get your thoughts on what's going on here. Is this just a, a calm before a massive storm of a big M&A in the back half of the year? Or do you think kind of this regulatory uncertainty, tax uncertainty, all these uncertainties are really killing uh, U.S. M&A.
1: The best thing the uh, Trumpkins had to say about uh, the political environment leading to more M&A was deregulation. Uh, um, Whatever one thinks of the president himself, I believe he has some phenomenal people at the regulatory agency level uh, that will lead to eventually more clarity and more market orientation around uh, sectors that could lead to a lot of rationalization and consolidation. That's the good news. The bad news, which has so far been swamping the good news, uh, is chaos and uncertainty that, uh, you know, uh, has been, I would say bad capitalism and bad socialism. Uh, the nice thing about socialism or, uh, kind of big, you know, high tax, high spending, high regulation, you can pass a lot of costs on to customers. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a cost to society. It will make us poorer overall, but it actually can be a great environment for producers. Uh, who can stick the consumers with the bill. The problem is if you don't know. The problem is if you have this weird hodgepodge, uh, it's incoherent to have high spending and low taxes. Uh, It is uh, incoherent from a deal perspective to have just unknown. I mean, we can deal as private sector market participants in a lot of different kind of environments, and there are people who've gotten rich in pretty much every type of political system so I might uh, uh, and you might we all have philosophical preferences which on most days doesn't matter at all uh, what we prefer because nobody's asking us Uh, but we have to react in practical terms to the game that we have to play but what we can't do is if every time you try to make a move you don't know what game you're playing if you say, "Well, that was a terrible checkers move," even though you thought you were making a chess move, and uh, that's what Trump has left us with. Uh, there are certain sectors that are highly sensitized to the commercial tax rate. For example, uh, bank M and You kind of need to know if it's going to be 35 or 15 or 25 or zero uh, to come up with what a realistic price is. And I just don't know how you're supposed to do a deal right in the middle of that massive uncertainty.
0: No, I think that's hundred percent correct and you know, bank a is a great one. Another one I've been looking at is a lot of real estate. A lot of companies have said, Hey, we had this real we've got uh, we've built up this big real estate portfolio and we're gonna spin it out into a REIT. But if Donald Trump's gonna cut the tax rate to fifteen percent, then it doesn't really make sense to take on the added costs and the hindrances of a REIT. So they're kind of stuck in this weird limbo where they're like We don't know if we should keep it and kind of operate as is because tax rates are coming down or if we should spin it off and then we can focus on our core operations. So you're in this very weird space. And, you know, I I think the one thing that kills deals confidence is uncertainty. And there's uncertainty around regulations. There's uncertainty around taxes. There's uncertainty around healthcare. So every sector, people are kind of freezing up. And I find it interesting that. Business CEO confidence are at all time highs. While we're not seeing a lot of MA, you normally see MA when there's confidence. We have this massive uncertainty. So it's just this very
1: weird disconnect between
0: all sectors.
1: Uh, let me uh, touch on the healthcare uh, for a second specifically, and then just a thought about the practicality of MA processes. Uh, healthcare is a bigger burden in the US than our corporate tax rate. It is more uncertainty. It is more cost from a corporate perspective, and it makes us more different than most other developed nations. Uh, and we, again, bad capitalism and bad socialism, we don't have a competently managed national health service, nor do we have free market uh, competition that really allows the insurers and the healthcare providers mm-hmm. to uh, viciously uh, go after uh, customers. Where we do, uh, where there are no third-party payers, uh, in I would say uh, LASIK surgery, mm-hmm. um, uh, cosmetic dentistry, we have fantastic markets. Yep. We have functional. We have ads. We have people uh, that just just slash down prices, and the prices really relate to the quality, uh, uh, and uh, it's very sane. Uh, so one can do markets uh, if. Something really matters. You should have more markets, not less. But uh, uh, we don't have either of the benefits of either system, and and that hurts m too. Um too. I just – I want to say I'm glad you mentioned m and because
0: that's really, – or healthcare because that's really what spurred this conversation. Mm-hmm. There was a front-page article in the – it, it was in the Financial Times talking about how healthcare is the sector that has just been blasted by all of this regulatory uncertainty because, yeah. look, they have no clue on – Taxes, which are massively important if you're a very profitable healthcare company, they have no clue on taxes. They have no clue on how many people are going to be sure, how drug pricing is going to be regulated going forward. There's just so much uncertainty mm-hmm. and they, there's just been almost no deal making uh, in the U.S. in healthcare recently. The only big deals have actually been in the cash pay type markets that you're talking about. And, you know, it just doesn't seem like that's going anywhere away, away anytime soon. And that's a big, big source of, you know, all the hospitals. It's over 20% of GDP. As long as there's uh, regulatory uncertainty there, m there looks very, very unlikely.
1: MA has the same uh, practical considerations of dating, too. You can't put something on hold indefinitely. Uh, you look at some of the back and forth, uh, especially if you look at background sections on uh Uh, Deals that eventually get done or failed deals or partial deals, I think I'm not going to mention the one I'm thinking of in particular, but you look over the past year where deals that would make sense don't get done and, and you have one side interested and not the other and then vice versa and the more chaos and uncertainty you have in the regulatory environment, the harder it is for coordination because they just don't know and sometimes can think greedily about the potential upside for them but aren't able to split the difference and move on uh, and if you don't get the right tempo, you can't necessarily uh, see companies acting in very kind of transitive, rational ways because of all the normal greed and other uh, assorted uh, problems people can have. Uh, it tends to get exacerbated when the tempo gets off of yeah. deals.
0: And the other thing is, look, companies are not frozen in time. And making deals takes a lot of time, a lot yeah. of effort. Uh, and if, if there's a lot of uncertainty at some point, a good company just needs to say... Hey, for, forget that. We just need to focus on our go-alone plan and we'll, we'll try again in a year or two. But we're losing salespeople. We're not making investments that we should be making because we're kind of thinking about and waiting for this certainty that's not coming to allow us to buy or sell. Mm-hmm. We've just got to ignore that and move on. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's about time. Do you want Do you want any last thoughts here? I have nothing to add. Okay, great. So that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, and I think there were more of you than we thought, we really appreciate all the uh, messages, everybody saying, hey, where's the podcast been the past couple of weeks? Chris was just up in Maine, and we had a travel schedule. But if you like this podcast, we appreciate it. Send us emails, but really be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, Boom, wherever you get this podcast. Uh, Chris, I don't think we have any disclosures on any of the stocks you mentioned today. Uh, no. Great. We'll talk to you guys later this week.